0: Hey, J-Crew. this episode is being hosted by three Jews still a little bit hungover from the wedding of the century. Our minds are a little bit foggy, and we have no idea what we might say. It might be a little bit inappropriate, and so this is your obscenity warning. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother might have had sex for the first time on her wedding night. I mean, there's lots of things about your grandmother, right? You know? I hope she did.
1: I mean, I hope she had, you know now oh, I don't want to think about that—
0: Hello, Jake Crew. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer. Just back from the wedding of the century. I am joined this week by Tablet senior writer Liel Libowitz. Don't talk so loud. Still hungover. Sorry. I'll try to. I'll try to dial it back. And substituting for the honeymooning Stephanie Butnick is our executive producer, Alyssa Goldstein. Hello, Alyssa.
2: Hello. I. Hello. I, I'm so happy to be here and to be promoted to executive producer. It's very exciting.
0: I promoted you a few weeks ago. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm
2: thrilled. My parents love it.
0: If you want another title, I mean, you know, these things are all, they're flexible. I mean, we... (laughs) We can make you Dolly Grip or Gaffer or whatever. Um, our guests this week are essayist and NPR commentator Annabelle Gerwich and uh, the Jew-Gentile combo of actor Aaron Davidman and director Dylan Kusman, who together made the movie Wrestling Jerusalem, which I have seen and which I've uh, led a panel discussion of and which is playing this week in New York. And it's, it's a remarkable thing. So it's going to be exciting to have them uh, in the studio. But before we get to that, Jews... What is up? We know what's up. What was up this weekend?
3: The the wedding of the century. You know, I, 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 I'm i sorry. I'm going to let you finish, <laughs> Charles and Diana, but the Buttnick Cohen wedding is one of the greatest wedding of all time.
2: I don't know about you guys. I felt like a minor celebrity, and I'm not even on the podcast like you are, but still felt like I was recognized by virtue of my accent
0: or Instagram or something. <laughs> right. And there were also like three at least three different categories of people would come up to us. You know, some of them come up to us and be like, do you do that thing in the place with Stephanie that she works on? And we're like, yeah, 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 we do that thing. And then there'd be people who would come up and be like, wait, are are you or wait, I I think I've seen your picture or I heard your voice. Are you are you on Unorthodox with Stephanie? And and you'd say yes and then they'd want a photo with you. And then there were the people who would walk up like like you know Aunt Pam and cousin Amy and people like that who were just awestruck. Like they, they knew us, they knew our kids' names, they they knew the guests on every episode ever. I mean the super fans. And that was uh, flattering if um, Love these
3: people. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and love the Butnick Cohen's. I mean seriously, so the finest, warmest kind of happiest winning it's to me it was almost an anthropological experience to kind of like see just like very large very happy families genuinely yeah, seem I know. to love each other i felt like i'm on <laughs> safari it's like and here you have the north american happy family they come out at night to celebrate with vodka and dancing i was like who are these strange tribal people right the butnicks and the cohen's the, the all the
0: the Mahatunum seem to actually love each other i mean there seems to be no drama no stress. Ben's sister loves him. Stephanie's sister loves her. It's all good. It's all good. It's almost obscene. <laughs> now listen. The we we were very fortunate in that in uh, at about halftime in the wedding we were able to get a, a yehud room. We were um now we were able to like retreat into just a a social room um away from the tent inside the cl- the country club away from the outdoor tent. And we we uh, we did a little a little okay. mini. Okay. All right. This is uh this is the the Butnick Cohen wedding halftime show. We're inside the Old Westbury Golf Tennis and Bocce Society Club.
2: Has everyone met Uncle Leslie? Uncle Leslie. He makes Joe Nathan's top
0: liver. I am a big supporter. He's but an early supporter. Early
4: supporter of both the podcast and of Stephanie Butnick. Always my favorite Butnick from early on. So Molly Molly
0: Ye is special guest.
4: Molly.
2: Molly. Wait, wait, we have another special guest. Molly Ye is here. Can we talk about Stephanie Uh and Ben?
1: (laughs) Here's what Stephanie and Ben are in my mind. Do you remember the the most beautiful (laughs) camp counselor and the most handsome boy counselor, how you always wanted them to get together? And that was like your definition of love growing (laughs) up? You just did.
3: In front of my very eyes.
1: (laughs) This This
2: was my old camp self's biggest fantasy coming true tonight. Ben Cohen, groom, how are you feeling?
3: I'm feeling good, I'm trying to, Stephanie
0: both has to pee and change out of her dress into her jumpsuit, so I'm trying to. Hopefully in the proper order.
2: Stephanie has a wedding jumpsuit, this is amazing. Is she a romper? Yes. Does she have a wedding romper? It's a jumpsuit, it has legs. So the most important thing that happened tonight was that during the ceremony, a black
5: cat with white on it walked by the front of the like I saw him from the hood, but he walked by the front and I was like, it's a sign, this is meant to be. Cat Stevens is pissed he's not invited, and I was like, we can do this.
3: I paid several thousand dollars for that cat to walk past.
5: <laughs> I just feel I feel very happy. I feel like this is a little anticlimactic, like what are we gonna talk about after this?
0: Babies, Mark's gonna
6: show babies. All right. Well, we're gonna
3: go make some. So let's go. All right.
0: Goodbye.
5: Bye.
3: I think any life event I'm ever having should be should be orchestrated by Howie and Elise Butnick. I I don't. I just don't want to be in an event anymore that they don't throw.
2: They know how to
0: throw an event. What
3: what is the point? They know how to throw an event, including I know. I know you're supposed to talk about the the ladies' dresses, and Stephanie looked amazing. It was seriously a stunning wedding dress you know whatever here's here's what got my attention got my attention is that Howie Butnick switched from the black tuxedo of the ceremony to a white tuxedo of the reception which was smashing <laughs> I mean seriously the, the man is an inspiration I like of course another toast for Howie Butnick Howie Butnick, Howie Butnick. Howie Butnick. Howie Butnick. Howie Butnick. who's wearing the cleverest tux I've ever seen in my life you are the you best guys. dressed
0: man here Howie what's what's it like to, I mean, honestly, earnestly now, what's it like to be marrying off your, your your baby daughter? What is this like? You know,
4: everyone thinks, oh, the baby daughter going, going. but uh, they're adults. I don't think about, like, oh, it's the youngest daughter. Oh, my God. What, uh, they're people. You know, yes, you, have, you can hover,
0: you can helicopter, but still... How are you- what? Let Stephanie, them be. Stephanie seems well raised to me, and that's my <laughs> highest compliment. I disagree with when people say, "Oh, you did a
4: good job raising your kids." I don't agree with that. You know, you did a good job raising. No. They they did the job.
0: I didn't do anything. Now we're going to celebrate you anyway <laughs> for tomorrow. that talk. If nothing else, could you could we get a picture of the talks? So we need to show the I picture. Did. You did. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because like I sometimes dress a little <laughs> No, come on eccentrically and yes. it's like you have given me license howie butnick is um he's an eccentric and proudly so at I least mean, you look beautiful
3: howie... too but howie yeah. i'm sorry man
0: now leo we discovered actually you were not eating so much the other night and it was a big reveal to me and Alyssa that um you are you've you've made some dietary choices lately
3: i i have mark <laughs> <laughs> this is as close to Oprah as I'll ever be. Yeah,
2: do you want to share um, with our listeners? It's I'll, Elul. It's I'll, time to share. I'll
3: begin yeah. by saying that you know, as you could imagine, the food at at the wedding. I mean, it was out of unbelievable, the, it was the unbelievable, most unbelievable yeah. thing. But 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 here's here's um here's the rub. Um, so you know, uh, the the month of Elul in which we are now is is a month of reflection and and kind of thought and and contemplation. And and for for quite some time now, I've been. Uh, I mean, this is not a new thing. This is something I've been kind of thinking about and experiencing for for some months. Um, I I am um, I'm 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 trying to go kosher here. I'm I'm trying to keep trying to keep it real.
0: Okay. And now, so um... the
3: the bounties at Stephanie's wedding were were very uh, appealing and enticing, but I, I had some uh, some lovely sushi rolls and a very good vegetarian option, uh, and and somewhere in the twilight zone. You know, a, a slightly previous version of me heard myself, this version of me, order the vegetarian option when steak Whoa. was offered. And, Whoa. you know, the, the planets are just, you know. So, why? Um, I think that as as you sort of, you know, this, <laughs> there's very little about this that sounds original or interesting, I'm afraid. But I think that as, as you sort of mature and, and start, I mean, eventually, you mature. Even me, you know. At some point, you have to. Uh, and as as that happens to you, I think you start thinking about what really matters to you and and how you want to to sort of go through life. And I think that um, you know, my 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 Jewish identity and my my commitment to to the, this religion, uh, not just you know uh, some ethnic affiliation. Uh, But faith uh, has always mattered a great deal for me. I always thought that there was a really kind of effortless way for me to kind of intellectually uh, paper over some of these uh, kind of central distinctions that Judaism commands. Uh, It turns out it's not quite so easy. Uh, The more serious I get, the harder it got for me to justify to myself you know why i was still eating bacon and cheeseburger look the honest answer is that i don't have a good answer for you i'm just doing right now what feels right and i think that the the that the intellectual thought will come much much later but you know what it it feels kind of great
2: you're you're, you're having your like na'asev moment yeah that's yeah, right you're doing it you want to translate
0: for our yeah, you want translate um, for the goyim the, yeah, over here the, including me when
2: when god offered the israelites the torah They basically said we'll do it, and then we'll listen. Like Mm -hmm. they committed on on the basis of faith, and then the commentary and the intellectualism came later.
3: Yeah, there's also something amazing in this in this age of excess um, to, you know, about the idea of restriction. I think you know it Mm. it makes me feel really good to know. Look, I'm in command of what I eat. I, I think it may be in a weird way started from. I'm kind of like, you know, deciding to commit to to losing, you know, all this weight. It's sort of like, look, I'm not just going to sort of, you know, gorge myself on, on anything and everything that I find. I'm I'm gonna think very, very carefully about what it is that I that I ingest. And I think it really gives you a sense of uh, to use a, a loathsome word, mindfulness, uh, that really brings order to the chaos.
1: I
2: feel like my um, my trajectory with kashrut is so um has there's there's been many rises and dips over the last 10 years. I grew up keeping kosher and my parents' home is kosher and we would eat out meals vegetarian in restaurants but like grew up in a religious community where most of the families kept kosher and in the last few years I've sort of, and I and I was pretty strict about it until I was in my mid-20s, and even now I very rarely eat meat that is trafe. but at some point I had this thought that I didn't want to not experience everything that the world had to offer. It wasn't out of any um, That's right. theological point of view, because for me kashrut isn't theological, it's more cultural. Like my, my theology and religious beliefs stalled when I was about nine and hasn't advanced <laughs> beyond like, you know, Vanilla agnosticism. But it's just so interesting because for me it's kind of divorced from faith. It's just like what we do and it's not really about what I believe.
3: Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense though. Yeah. I think – yeah. I mean,
0: well, it'll be interesting. Our readers will
3: keep us honest. They'll, I think part of the design us. actually was, was to do just that, to say like, look, you know. I never yeah. want
2: my relationship with food and kashrut to not be fraught. As long as it's fraught and as long as I'm thinking about <laughs> it and I'm feeling You're some degree of family. guilt, I'm <laughs> right. in the right place. You're in shoe.
3: Right of place. course it's going to be your relationship with everything is going to be fraught. What is right. going to well, be fraught?
0: There will be no news of the Jews this week as important as Liel's having decided to try keeping kosher. But so a, a quick other bit of news of the Jews. Um, first of all, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's son had posted an anti-Semitic meme to
3: his Facebook page. What was the meme? I forget. It was – it was George Soros holding a fishing rod in front of a lizard person. The lizard person holding a fishing rod in front of, I believe, a hook-nosed Jew, who then in turn was fishing uh, the world government. Uh, which shows you that you know uh, morons come in all shapes, sizes, religious affiliations. So beliefs, I don't know and much about them. I don't know much about Netanyahu's son. Is he like the – is he the, the – He's the, the Don Trump Jr. Jr. Yep. <laughs> it's <laughs> perfect. He's working his way to an Eric, but for now, he's the Don Jr. <laughs> right. Um,
0: an Orthodox woman has settled her lawsuit with uh, the gym Lucille Roberts. Uh, she won the right to exercise in her skirt after she was turned away uh, by two women's Lucille Roberts gyms in Brooklyn. Yosefa Jalal Wood Eisenberg, 27. She sued uh, Lucille Roberts in 2015 because she was banned from its franchises for wearing her knee-length fitted ortho-frummy skirts. So um, good for her. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I've never exercised in a Lucille Roberts and I have no plans to. But if I ever am going to, I'm going to check at the door to see would you let me exercise in a skirt if I wanted.
3: You would look ravishing.
0: Um, and finally, in news of the Jews, most important, and I'm Liel, you wrote about this uh, in the Scroll Tablets blog this week. Tell us, tell our listeners, tell the J Crew the bacon story from the 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 story of how pork creates solidarity between Islam and and Judaism and creates world is the template for world peace. That's coming right, Out Mark, of Michigan, this
3: is, this is not a pork story. This is a peace story. It's so, a peace story. so in the great the great American city of Detroit. Um, there have been two incidents that, that I feel kind of show show us the way to, towards redemption. Uh, in in one case, uh, a, a lovely uh, Muslim observant couple walked into a KFC and they asked for their delicious sandwich and they asked for no bacon on the sandwich but cheese. Uh, and when they received said sandwich, said sandwich did, alas, have bacon in it. And when to their great terror, they bit into it and discovered uh, the, the you know, extremely non-halal violation they just committed, uh, the restaurant's employees seem to sort of laugh it off. Uh in in other news, or as, as Sex in the City is the same, meanwhile, on the other side of town, <laughs> uh a a an Orthodox Jewish woman walked into an equally delightful Denny's and ordered the Also also in Detroit? <laughs> also in Detroit and ordered the egg uh the, the, the egg vegetable omelette, which you would think is the healthy option on the menu, but I checked that menu. <laughs> <laughs> that is like 1100 calories there's like
2: 12 eggs in for that. that
3: there's like 12 eggs and like a pound and a half of cheese and when it was delivered to her she took a bite and and discovered also bacon and again to her great uh distress when she complained to the manager the manager said oh i'm really sorry we keep the uh, veg this is i swear this is the literal quote we keep <laughs> the vegetable bucket Next to the bacon bucket, <laughs> uh, which is a perfect description of a Denny's kitchen, right? Uh, and, and so both of these individuals did the most American thing they could, which, of course, they sued. And so now we have two bacon-related lawsuits uh, at two, directed at two different fast food franchises, one by uh, a religious Muslim, one by a religious Jew. God bless the... God bless the uh... The, the, let us hope
2: Godless. that they're settled for millions.
3: That's right. That's
0: Because
2: right. that would be the most American thing of all.
3: Mm-hmm. Sue me. Sue me. Shoot bullets through me. Ah I-
0: Our first Jew of the week is Annabelle Gerwich, actress, activist, New York Times bestselling author, uh, guest star on Seinfeld and Boston Legal and so much else. Her most recent collection of essays is called Wherever You Go, There They Are stories about my family you might relate to. It uh, came out a couple months ago. It's awesome. Um, she also used to host dinner in a movie on TBS. I mean, you, it's, it's like you've seen her everywhere. Hi, Annabelle. Welcome.
1: Hey, I ha- thanks for having me. Actually, I am playing a rabbi. I'm playing Pam Adlon's rabbi on Better Things, the TV series on FX. On, I think it airs October 7th. <laughs> Have you been like delving into other TV rabbis for inspiration or guidance? <laughs> there's like, there's like, there's Catherine Hahn. <laughs> right. It's just, it's pretty funny. It's like, there's, there's like a, there's like a cache of like TV yeah. rabbis. I love types. that
3: now that you prepared to be a rabbi these days, you don't actually study real rabbis. You study Catherine <laughs> <Yeah>. Hahn.
1: <laughs> she She's the
3: ultimate rabbi. She's the ultimate rabbi. She is. So listen, there's, there's yeah. like a, a million things. Like yes. this, this Thank book you. alone, I yeah. feel like. First of all, it's amazing. Second of all, oh, like every you. essay in this book, I think merits like a three and a half hour conversation. <laughs> totally. And can
2: I just give to give listeners like uh-huh. a, like the TLDR sort of of what your family is like? It's like Wes Anderson meets Woody Allen. It's just hilarious <laughs> and nutty and yeah. with like a southern vibe. Yeah, meets, I, meets I,
3: The Wire.
1: It meets uh, Arrested Development <laughs> right. because meets of the criminal yeah right. activity. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean in the book, you know, the launching off point of the book is my family. I I mean the idea of the book was to say you know who is our family is it our is it our birth family is it is it our relations is it our pets is it our friends is it our tribe is it our ethnic background I mean I really wanted to ask this question because I was that person who was always like get me out of this family it was <laughs> like a hostage situation and in order to tell the story I ended up Doing all this research about my family, uh, the things I didn't even know about—really, how we got to this country and how why we ended up in Alabama. You know, we're the Shalom Yall Jews, uh, who were you know lost and 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 in Alabama, we came over and and that's where we came from from the old country. And I should
0: interrupt here to say yeah. that if your family ever imported farm equipment in Mobile, Alabama, they got it from my family's Jews, who oh, are the so farm equipment importing kings mm. of Mobile. So that's just, just so fun. To establish the connection, Yes.
1: And my dad claims, you know, my dad always claimed to have actually done the—and this is a true story. We know this, that um, boys, Jewish boys, were sent up from the South to New York right when Israel was being formed. And they uh, packed what was labeled Mm. farm equipment, Mm -hmm. uh, but it was really book that went to Israel. Now, I can't— Prove that my dad was part of this. My dad was a big fabulist. I mean, it was hard to tell what Hans, was true. Handsome Wasn't Harry. True. Handsome Harry. But it's it's could have been it could have been true. Um, it's funny because a lot of the things don't seem true in the book. Like, was did he really try to bribe a federal judge when he was twelve? Was he really sent to D.C. to try to keep my cousins out of prison? That was true. <laughs> so, That's unbelievable. So the farm equipment's like, well, you know, probably. But the, so in the book. But, you know, I tell the story, our immigrant story, but then I talk about uh, in these different essays, the different families I joined trying to escape my family, like the UFO cult, the theater tribe, mm-hmm. um, you know, what are our pets, our family? I mean, I take it sort of far afield from my own family. Um
0: So, my favorite essay uh, of yours is the one where you talk about being your mother's drug mule. Maybe you just (laughs) want to, you will do greater justice to it than I. How exactly did you end up um, porting drugs for your mom?
1: So, when a couple years ago my mom had like neuropathic pain in her hands, and I was like, okay, you know what? You're going to, I'm going to get you edibles and this THC edibles. And it's really hard to get in Florida, even though it's legal. Um, I got my license, my marijuana license, based on information of where to go for my teenage son. (laughs) And um, just by the way, uh, when you get your license in California, the doctor that I went to is the only medical professional's office I've ever been to that sell flaming hot Cheetos. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) it's just like, like oh
3: great that's actually a huge part of the new republican healthcare bill it's like flaming hot chidos in every doctor's office will just improve everyone's you know well-being
1: yeah. so i end up getting this stuff from my these lemon drops and from my parents and um i hear good rev- i hear like my dad's like can you send some more can you send some more and it turned out of course that my mom who had the pain wasn't taking them at all. It was my dad who was apparently <laughs> stoned all the time and for... It was dealing with your mom. Exactly. Because he was living with my mom. And my dad I found out later. Um, you know, he got in trouble because he was smuggling bacon into the kosher kitchen of the Jewish <laughs> senior living <laughs> home that they were living in. And then I found out later, it wasn't just bacon. It was crab meat. And it's very possible that he was also maybe had a little side business dealing the with the editing. the Trife. dealing yes. edibles are mm-hmm. dealing trife. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, the oh. dealer Another in the thing. senior home so, is the
3: guy who will like hook you up, with, hook you up with some scallops yeah. and a the yeah. like <laughs> <mic. But>. so, <laughs> so let me ask you this question, and, and now on a, on a totally seriousness. So, so yes. kind of one thought that occurred to me that you kind of you know broach a little bit, uh, but you know here you are having had this very, should we say, dramatic uh, tempestuous childhood, and I don't want to you know reveal too much because everyone who's listening to the show ought to go out and pay money and buy this book and read it, uh, but. Then your parents grow older uh, and and you take sort of extraordinarily good care of them. Uh, it, was there ever a moment in which you said, you know, they were not the most responsible adults when I was coming up. I'm going to pay them in kind. I'm going to say like, I'm sorry, I'm I'm not going to, you know, throw everything and just come and, and, and be there for you, although maybe that's what I ought to do. In theory, I just don't feel it.
1: I mean, I, I was working on these stories for years before I actually put this book together that reason why I started writing this particular book was that moment where I decided to step into caregiving for my parents. And I I felt like as a human, I was in this challenging moment where I could say, you know, they spent, my dad lost my bat mitzvah money playing poker. They, I mean, there were so many uh, uh, reasons why I could have stepped away and not stepped in. Uh, And not that I'm any kind of great person. I mean, I'm not, uh, it's not that. I just, felt like I um, I had this opportunity. You know, it's interesting. There's um, there was an article in the New York Times recently called The Daughter Trap, about how the majority of caregiving falls mm. to daughters in the family. And now they're only daughters in my family, so in a way it's not exactly that situation. But I I in my mind, it was funny when I read that, I also thought, well, you know, it's also the daughter opportunity.
2: There's something about um, seeing your parents mm-hmm. being caregivers to their parents that's incredibly profound and this is maybe a little sentimental but it is the month of Elul and I think there's a kind of repair a kind of between you and yeah. your parents in your yeah. caregiving for them yeah. and it's also a profound gift to your son because for me seeing my parents care for their elderly parents was it, it really has had a, a huge impact on me it's a very um it's a it's an act of grace, and it's really important. I think when younger generations witness
1: that happening as well. This is just actually the um, was the anniversary of my father's uh, death um, last week, and then my mother died on the day of his memorial. My, both my parents died while I was writing this book, and the c- really really crazy ironic thing was that. I didn't have a relationship, a good relationship at all, with my mother, and I only had the relationship with her through the caregiving. And when you do that, it you have to be you have to be unattached to getting any sort of props. As I say, you know, it's sort of a crazy thing was was in the last week of her life, I was with her during the hospice time, and um, in fact, my sister, who was very close to my mom, couldn't come down till the very end. My mother kept telling the hospice nurses how um, proud she was of all the work I was doing in the community. And I realized the entire time I was there, my mother thought I was my sister, who is a philanthropist, which is just, just goes yeah. to show you, 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 don't get, you don't do it for the credit. You do it for the tacoon. That's what you do. It so for.
3: listen, Annabelle, we've we've yes. we've really talked a lot about people, and the truth is, we we don't really like people. Uh, <laughs> we we want to talk about something way more important that you that you address profoundly in your book, which is dogs. Yes. Uh, now, both, both both you and Mark Oppenheimer share very strong opinions about the state of, shall we say, pet pamperdom. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. What, what what's what's going on?
1: <laughs> okay.
3: In the houndosphere.
1: Well, there is this chapter in my book about about, you know, whether or not Asking the question, "Are pets our family?" And uh, I come down decidedly that they are not. Which, just by the way, when I talked about that on Bill Mars' show, I had to later <laughs> post pictures on Twitter of right. me with my cats because <laughs> really, I people, love them. I do love them. People were so pissed off at me, like Ed gonna... hates cats. I, did, I love my cats, but they are not my children.
3: Mark, how would you answer that question? I'm curious. Are, are pets our family? Oh, absolutely.
0: I mean, I don't dress. Look, I don't spend a lot of I don't spend money on my kids' clothes. I'm not going to spend money on my dog's clothes. I mean, I I treat my my dog with the same, you know, frugality that I treat my children. But but my dog is definitely one of my children. Absolutely.
1: Okay, but it I too I think it's gotten a, a fetishy and out of, of control. Of course. No, no. no.
0: Look, Look, as as our listeners know, I, I'm against purebreds. I'm against gourmet dogs. I'm against dressing them up in little booties. I'm against people who do those things. I mean, like, I believe in... Adopting rescue dogs of appropriate dog size that slobber over you and loving them as dogs. I
1: am too. I, in fact, you know, I mean, you in the book I talk about when I was I I volunteered at a at a shelter rescue place. I got I was locked in a kennel yeah, with yeah. two. I think
0: we're on the same page. But, but I'm just using the nomenclature that they're family. Okay, That's this all. really
1: important question is. Um, do you know the Jewish stance on whether dogs have, you know, souls or not? They
0: don't, according to Judaism.
1: That's right. You're not supposed but, which to is wrong. sit yeah, Shiva wrong. for the, the uh, rabbi, will not well, do the Shiva for the dogs. We're not
0: there yet. Okay. We're not there yet.
2: And yet we have bach mitzvahs. But I do
0: believe the reform movement will get there to sitting Shiva for dogs, then conservative will follow, then modern orthodoxy, and the Haredi will be left out there on the right wing fringe not sitting Shiva for dogs or counting them in the minion, by the way. I mean, when I become president of my shul, we're counting dogs in the minion but only male He's dogs. not kidding. Hey, listen, you know, we can take this up next time you come back, but um, in the meantime, I feel like our listeners have to go buy your book, which is astonishing. Uh, Annabelle Gerwich has been our Jew of the Week. Her book is Wherever You Go, There They Are, Stories About My Family You Might Relate To, and, and we did. So, thanks. Thanks for being our J-O-T-W.
1: Thank you, guys. Thank
0: you. Thank you.
1: <laughs> when I get older Losing my head Many years from now
3: you still be sending me Valentine?
0: Best greetings, bottle of
5: wine. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award nominated best play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by The New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streety.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y.
0: Our Gentile of the week is actually it's, – it's a Jew-Gentile combo. We're cheating a bit because we wanted to have these guys in. It's the uh, the combo of actor Aaron Davidman and director Dylan Crissman who together have made uh, the movie Wrestling Jerusalem, which is playing all week until Friday, uh, September 17th at Symphony Space here in New York City. Wrestling Jerusalem is a movie that I've seen and I, I was up in Toronto where I moderated an, a discussion with these gentlemen and uh, and talked about their movie afterwards at the Toronto – Premiere and it's a, a one man show in which Aaron, who who also wrote the script, plays about how many characters do you play, Aaron? Seventeen last I counted. Seven. I was going to say twenty five, but seventeen characters Sometimes on it all feels sides, like on all sides of the of the um, Israel Palestine debate: Jews, Arabs, left wingers, right wingers, religious, secular, everything. He basically it's like the whole Middle East uh, argument in a nutshell, and so it's a remarkable movie. Um, Aaron, tell everyone like. I think I've summed up the show pretty well, but how do you sum up the show? Uh, you did it perfectly. I think what I could add is just that it's a
4: it's an attempt to try to move beyond polemic and, you know, into something that's more nuanced around this really thorny topic.
0: So tell us about let's say two or three of the characters whom you play whose parts you wrote these are fictional characters but you wrote these parts well, yeah. about them they're fictional char- I mean
4: they're fictional now they're all based on people that I interview based on interviews you yeah did, right? and then
0: one of the characters right. of course is me which isn't right. fictional
4: right um <laughs>
0: far as
4: far as we
3: know.
0: <laughs> yeah, like tell us about the maybe in the accents because you have about 10 accents
3: going on. Yeah, in we should do it in, 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 inside the Shlomo studio. I would like <laughs> yeah. to speak to the oh, hardcore <laughs> right-wing Israeli settler. So uh,
4: this character, it's he's, um believes very strongly uh, about the right to be in the Judean Samaria. That particular character has a kind of... Um, you know, know, real religious zeal and justification for for living in the West Bank. And yet, um, he's also really human and really dimensional. And you can't just write him off.
3: Was there a specific character that was quite difficult to get into or one that was more easy to get to? Where do they rank on like an emotional scale? Well, you know, as a performer, as an actor, it's our job to, you know, go
4: the distance all the way into that character, whatever they are. And so, in a way, it's kind of a delight to stretch myself into those different crevices and corners of my own psyche, you know. And I think the the most surprising thing that came out was, if I have to be really honest, is actually how I could see little parts of myself in some of these people that I might, you know, judge more harshly or, or be critical of, you know, um, on, on, on a day-to-day basis. But when I have to go in and actually sell their ideas and, and embody them, I access parts of myself that I might not have wanted to kind of admit that, that were there. And I think that, that, that was the biggest surprise to me. Aaron,
0: give us one of the, the Arab characters. Give us some lines from one of the Arab characters you play.
4: Okay, so one of the guys uh, says, um, the only Israelis I have known carry guns. The only Israelis I have known wear uniforms. The only Israelis I have known decide where I can live, where I can travel, when I can travel. The only Israelis I, my children have known drive tanks, invade neighborhoods, intimidate their parents at checkpoints. The only Israelis I have known own the water trucks that deliver my water.
2: I'm curious to know, what, what has the reaction been in the Palestinian community to the play or the film?
4: Well, I mean, Palestinians that have come to see the show, and, and first of all, it's a little bit of a hard sell, actually, to get Palestinians to come because I'm an American Jew telling their part, part of telling their story. And, um, and that's, you know, as you can imagine, that's kind of a tough sell for them to come. But the ones that do come have approached me afterwards with with a lot of with a lot of respect and 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 gratitude. There was a at when I was at the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis there was a there was a guy wearing a keffiyeh in the second row. You know, and I can see everybody in the audience, right? right? And so and and you know I'm so I'm doing the performance I'm like okay there's a guy with a keffiyeh in the second row and I know he's there wearing the keffiyeh to let me know that he's there. Right. <laughs> right? And so at the end, when, you know, after the discussion, people were coming up to me and we were talking, he was kind of waiting his turn to chat with me. And I thought, okay, here it comes, here it comes. And he approached me and he said, he was maybe in his thirties. He says, I, I just want you to know my, you know, grew up in East Jerusalem. My, um, my father's in, you know, was shot by the Israelis. He's in, a, he's in an Israeli prison. Um, my you know, cousin was killed. You know, this topic has been really, really tough for my family. I, li- I live in Toronto now. And I just want to tell you, here it comes. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. And so, you know, that that means a lot to me. Wow, and and you know, I, I should say also that the um, the perspectives of the Jewish right also are given as much dignity and respect in this piece than, you know, I mean, just as much as as, as the Palestinian perspective or the more right or the more or the more left. Uh, Israeli perspective as well, so it's it's a whole you know it's a whole range as you as you know if you've
3: seen it. So Dylan, one of the privileges uh, of 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 your people, by which I mean gentiles, uh, is the you know the prerogative of not caring <laughs> about this endless bloody conflict. <laughs> so why did you enter in, into
0: this fray? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and we should say it's not like you don't have a good career, Dylan. I mean, you've worked on the, the Tom Cruise version of the Mummy, and you've worked on you know. Uh, Mission Impossible. I mean,
6: it's you, you've got other. I went back other
2: f- to look at Dead Poets Society. I'll yeah. confess. <laughs> can you? Can, am I still? You can still say. Still it.
6: see Richard Cameron in there. Still see the Fink. It'll never go away. Um, I came. Like in- you've
0: got other fish to fry. I mean, you didn't have to delve into you know Ramallah.
6: Well, Aaron Davidman is one of my best friends in the world, and he has been for over a quarter century. I met him when I was going to college, and we've been longtime collaborators, and we've worked together. Um, on many different projects. And so there's a heartfelt connection between he and I, and I follow his career very closely, and I'm um, always interested in what he's doing and what he's up to. And when I heard him first read this piece at a reading in Los Angeles, um, my soul soul was just immediately stirred. Um, Whether it was the message of the piece, uh, which is... um, vast and, and multi-layered, or just a personal connection to Aaron himself as an actor and as a writer, watching him sort of find his voice, find something really big to say, something that something meaningful to say that I felt I wanted to help him share with the world. Um, as for whether this topic um, is relevant to me as a Gentile, uh, I think is, um, you know, this is a human issue. Um The world is in um, a lot of chaos. Um, and there's a lot of conflict. And and this this issue has always been at the, at the heart of that conversation from when I was a little boy, you know, when I was first sort of coming into any sort of political consciousness when I was with my grandfather and I asked him for the first time, I said, what is going on in Israel? Why is it in the newspaper? I don't understand. And he said, that's a problem that my generation created and your generation will have to solve. Mm. <laughs> that's funny. And, and I would never forget that. And I'm not saying that that I'm that we're anywhere near uh, achieving that, or that I'm any part of achieving that, but it's um, it's always stuck with me um, as it's important, and I had never come across any piece of art that addressed it so directly and so with so much humanity.
2: Can I? I actually have a question about the direction and the cinematography of the film because it started out as a one man show on the stage and you have to translate that to film and you did something really inventive because it's split between scenes that play out on stage, backstage and in a desert landscape and then you, with the the very subtle use of props and panning and different angles, you give it a lot of depth and dimension and you have to see it for our listeners to really experience it but can you talk a little bit about how you came up with that, just how you took this stage show and made it into this cinematic
6: thing? Um, well, first thing, Nicole Whitaker, director of photography. Second, Nicole Whitaker, mm. director of photography. You
4: need to mention also Nicole Whitaker, Whitaker the also cinematographer. we
6: should mention her. She um, did an incredible job of translating my sort of ideas and visions into reality and making the film up on screen, the one that I had was trying to see. Ultimately, I like to think that the film is some sort of translation of what I see in my head when I watch Aaron perform the play. Aaron's, Aaron's Embodiment of these characters is so vivid, and and his his evocation of place uh, is so powerful that I see places, I see things, I see the home where he goes for the dinner, uh, I see um, the uh, the kitchen where he has the argument with the uh, with the student, and I wanted to, and I so the film became trying to manifest my fever dream of the show um, into a form that I could show to other people. Um, but also without it being too literal, not like literally right.
4: going to, you know, create realistic scenes in,
6: in those right. places either, right. not, you know, more imaginative. Abstracted. yeah, Abstracted. And every time we tried to go to, inst- instead of just suggesting a kitchen in the middle of this dry lake bed with these chairs and tables, going to an actual kitchen in our minds as we conceived of the movie it lost all its power it lost all its power because the power of the play is that it's just aaron on stage and he takes you on this journey this incredible journey that he actually took through these places and through these people and the movie had to do the same thing while at the same time being more than just a three camera shoot of a live stage performance it still had to take you but not take you so aaron
3: on that note let me ask you this this is such an intense performance. I mean, it's it's evident just from watching, and you sort of like coil up. How do you how do you unwind from something like that? You do it on stage, and then it's like nine thirty, nine forty five. You're like, okay, I'm done for the night. Whiskey is is that is that what you do? Well, it's also about what do I how do I
4: prepare to do it?
3: So I have a yoga practice before every performance. That's
4: gets me kind of all aligned, and then afterwards, um, I, I'm pretty just I'm pretty wiped out. So usually I, I um, yeah you you know, you I
3: might to, have to, a
6: glass of whiskey and go to bed to de Israel Palestine. That's so. right, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> one of the remarkable things about watching him do the performance is how quickly he transitions from one character to the other, and the film tries to you know does achieve it through edits. But just watching him physically do it, you realize his uh, you know. His skill at being able to immediately – he's so invested in each human being that you go, you must be way down in the well, and you're never going to get out. And he, within a second, has turned into someone else, and you realize how fast he's let it go. Um, I, I find that remarkable about him, that I agree with you. To come backstage after seeing him do it for 90 minutes, you're looking at him like, are you okay? And yeah, was, yeah I just like, acted. It was crazy. It's
2: like the theater equivalent of running a marathon. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't believe yeah. – you can just do that.
6: <laughs> can, can I leave you with one little flavor
4: of a character that I was thinking of that might, Please. he kind of balances out. Please, This is Avram, these, the settler v- um, equivalent or, or par- parody with Ibrahim, the Palestinian that I gave earlier. Parody, P-A-R-I-T-Y, yeah, parody. not a parody. No, yeah. not a parody. <laughs> there is a reason we are called Jews. We are descendants of the kingdom of Judah. And there is power in names, Aharon. Aharon, nachon? At Ahakohen? Ah, you could be a kohain. you know this? Psst. It's a very big honor to be descendant of the high priests. You think Star Trek invented this? <laughs> God was going where no man had gone before. Long before Spock and Captain
0: Kirk, <laughs> <laughs> you realize. So, Aaron, what you don't know is that Liel is n- not uninterested in Star Trek. Yes. We'll just put it that way. So you've, you know, marrying the 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 priestly blessing. You're bringing it, bringing Star All Trek circle. back to its roots. It's the roots. intersection
2: that is Liel. That's
0: right. Um, The Jew-Gentile combo of actor-writer Aaron Davidman and director Dylan Quisman have together made the movie Wrestling Jerusalem, which is playing all week at Symphony Space through Sunday uh, at 7.30 p.m. in New York City. But also, um, you can find out more about it at WrestlingJerusalem.com. And also, I just want to say... If you want to have a conversation at your synagogue or community center or or college campus or about the Middle East, that where you're not the one who gets yelled at, where you you basically can present all sides <laughs> and then have a conversation, right. and and you know they'll hate someone else or for State Department all sides. for that matter, yeah, I mean, you like just do a Jared. No, Kushner. seriously.
3: Special, yeah.
0: There's something so you know when I was in the audience at Toronto, or when I was and then moderating the discussion afterwards with these gentlemen, there is something quite disarming about it because you've seen them ventriloquize all, you've seen them perform all sides. So it's not like you can play gotcha and say, "But what about the settler point of view? Or what about the Intifada? Or what? Because it's been there. So it's it's a remarkable piece of work. And I want to thank Aaron Davidman and and Dylan Cussman for coming on the show.
3: Thanks for having us. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank thank you. you. Pleasure.
0: Friends, I've told you this before, but I will tell you again. There are some live shows coming up. Uh, September sixteenth, this Saturday, I will be speaking at Barnard Temple in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. I'll be giving their Slichot talk about uh, you know about about stuff. It'll be it'll be a lot of fun. If you're anywhere, if you're anywhere in Jersey, you know. I mean, I mean, if you're in New York, you can cross a bridge. You can come see me. Uh, you can go through a tunnel. But if you're in Jersey. Um, you know just just come just hop on the beautiful scenic Garden State Parkway or Jersey Turnpike and uh, and turn up. I would love I would love for some fans of the show to come. I would love to have a little a little cheering section there. October 18th I'll be giving a public lecture at West Virginia University and October 25th the whole gang all of us will be doing another unorthodox live show at JCC Manhattan. You can go to jccmanhattan.org and get tickets right now. We are booking some outstanding guests for that show. We'll have Lineup to come, but remember we've sold out this show before. So, um, so, so do get your tickets. Uh, that's JCC Manhattan, October twenty fifth. Come see us live, and we have more shows to announce uh, coming up soon. But that's uh, that's what we got on the schedule right now. Some newsletter subscribers. Oh, many people have joined the newsletter community this week. Which remember, it's a special unorthodox newsletter. Even if you get the regular Tablet newsletter, this is a special one for you. This week we welcome to the partnership of our law firm. Shelley Rubenfire, Lydia Lazar, Madeline Cohen, Blair Cooper, Adam Levy, Chava Katibian, Jared Fisher, Emily Rose Schmick, Sarah Geiger, Alison Friedman, Sam Gabor, John Newman, and longtime listener Rachel Leventhal-Weiner, possessor of the most Jewish name in America. (laughs) But the woman we have to talk about, the person we have to talk about. Shelley Rubenfire. Alyssa, what do we know about a uh, new newsletter subscriber Shelley Rubenfire?
2: Well, I can tell you about the Rubenfire family mythology. Shelley's grandfather came to the United States as an immigrant somewhere in Eastern Europe. Um, the family name was Rubinovich. And what happened was it was around the begin- early 1900s, somewhere in Chicago, young Rubinovich, still single. He fell into a boisterous Jewish crowd, there was a poker game one night. Things got out of hand. They ended up at a deli, and at the deli there was a wager.
0: does <laughs> this going?
2: Over who could eat the most Reuben's. <laughs> it, was, it was 50 bucks, which was a lot of money back then. And uh, Shelley's grandfather ate four Rubens, which is, like, massive, um, and therefore received the moniker Reuben fear, because fear is four in Yiddish, and became Reuben Fire, and two generations later, we wow. have Shelley.
3: Amen to that. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Impossible
0: to argue with this. Shelly, welcome to the community. Um, the newsletter, again, is not the regular Tablet newsletter. To get the special Liel Leibowitz penned unorthodox newsletter, sign up on our website, tabletmag.com, or send an email asking for it and putting it in the subject line to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Okay, to the mailbox. Dear Unorthodox, I did not grow up Jewish. My family were not regular churchgoers, but they more or less lined up with evangelical Protestants. Throughout my teen years in the late 80s, I found myself in a crisis of faith. By chance, in 1991, I visited a bookstore in my town. As was my habit, I checked out the religion section and found the book Jewish Literacy by Rabbi Joseph Telushkin. I read a few pages and knew I had to have it. I had found my home. Eventually, I escaped my small town and continued my journey. I converted and officially became a Jew as soon as I was able to find a Jewish community and a rabbi who would teach me. That was many years ago, and I've gone through many challenges and changes while on my Jewish journey. And ultimately, after losing my marriage, my family, and everything I once held dear, I found myself again in the proverbial wilderness. It took a while, but I started getting my life back together with a new job and a new life. In December, while looking for Jewish podcasts, I found Unorthodox. Unorthodox. After hearing the Christmas 2016 episode, I decided to download your entire archive and listen from the beginning. It took until shortly after Passover to catch up to the latest show. Your podcast has helped me feel reconnected to my faith, my community, and my joy. You may never know how fully you've helped make a difference in people's lives, but you have and continue to do so every week. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Sincerely, Benjamin T. McCormick.
3: I was afraid he's going to say. And after reading, after listening to your podcast, I decided to convert back, back away to, from whatever yeah. <laughs> it is you guys are. We are in some ways the litmus test. Like if you can handle
0: us, you can stay. Yeah, and you're if, a Jew. If we, if, if, <laughs> if the Holocaust jokes and sort of rank your reverence and apostasy uh, don't sit well with you, there's there are other e- easier faiths. Anyway, Ben, uh, if we may call you Ben, um, thank you. It means it means Benjamin. the world to us. And you did you did by the way ask um, if Our producer, Shira Telushkin, was any – it could pass the word of thanks on to Joseph Telushkin, and um, she can. And now a final letter. Alyssa, do you want to do the honors?
2: I do. Uh, Hi, guys. I'm a big fan of the podcast. A year and a half ago, I left my job in New York to travel around South America. My plan was to travel for a year, but I'm still here and still going. As a solo traveler – Podcasts are essential to me to combat loneliness, sleepless nights, and long, endless bus rides. And the people in my favorite podcast sort of feel like friends of mine. Your podcast is one of the ones I never miss an episode of. I have a problem, though, and this has happened to me with other podcasts. I have no idea what you three look like. Part of me has the urge to Google some photos of you, but another part of me is scared. Not necessarily of what you actually look like, but rather of destroying the images I already have in my own imagination of what you look like. So, what do you think? Should I Google the photos or stick to the imaginary versions? Best, Daniel Libicky.
0: Oof! What a. Yeah. What do you think? Should he should he find out what we look like or just just have us? I mean, here's my answer. As as,
3: as, as I've told to uh, to every girl I've ever uh, chatted with online, no, you shouldn't probably ever do that. Right, I mean, it's good to know you're still
0: chatting with girls online. That's right. Hey, Lisa. Here's the way I feel about that, which is, I I think it depends what you think we look like. I mean, if you think that, if you think, for example, that I'm 6'1 with green eyes and uh, a a pyramid shaped torso, then um, then you should stick with that.
3: Uh, and as for me, imagine imagine a grizzly bear breaking into a closet and and emerging with a t shirt. <laughs> And that's pretty much what I look then like. Here's what I think Mr. Libicki should do. Will you do us th- do us this solid? Google us. And then I
0: want a really thoughtful letter about how we meet or don't meet your expectations. Like really drill down. Look at a bunch of pictures of us and then write to us and tell us ex- like are we better looking, worse looking, different looking. We
3: want true and utter candor. All Nothing he will write is I've, de- I've Googled you and I've decided to stay in South America. <laughs> All right. So Mazel Tov. Leo, what you got this week? So obviously I mean look the 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 or mazel Tov here is to the Butnik Cohen clans to sure, Stephanie for sure. to Ben to all of them but but I I want to I want to extend a really heartfelt note this is a mazel tov slash get well soon um thing there is a a man uh, in Chevron named Muhammad Jabbar uh, Muhammad Jabbar when he was younger used to be a member of the uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad terrorist group, and one day he started, you know, reading his religion more seriously, uh, and and he had a change of heart. He did teshuvah. Uh, he converted. He became, I mean, not converted out of Islam, but converted out of terrorism and became a peace activist. And um, this Eid al-Adha, which just happened, the 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 you know, the sacrifice festival, the Islamic fe- f- sacrifice festival. Um, Muhammad Jabbar invited his good friend Yehuda Glick, who is a, a religious Jew and a member of Knesset uh, from the Likud party in Israel, over for some coffee and pastries. And Yehuda Glick was very happy to go, and, and you know, they posted a, a lovely photo of all of them with Jabbar's children on Facebook. Um, and a few days later, because of that photograph, the Palestinian police arrested Muhammad Jabbar uh, for the crime of having coffee with an Israeli. And you know what? I think that every person uh, here, uh, regardless of religion, regardless of political opinion, who still believes that the absolute pinnacle we're, we're aspiring to is just two friends, you know, wishing each other a happy holiday and having coffee, um, every person needs to pray for Muhammad Jabbar's quick and safe release. You're here. Uh, Alyssa. Uh,
2: my muzzle tov is for my friend, Bram Presser in Melbourne, Australia, who wrote a wonderful novel called The Book of Dirt. It has just come out. I highly recommend it. It's really beautiful and extraordinary. It's about his grandparents and the Holocaust. It is a novel. It's kind of metafictional. And it's about the stories we tell as families about our family histories and what is true and what isn't and how we fill in the gaps. And um, very relevant to our interview with Annabelle today, actually. And just check it out if you can. It's a great book.
0: My Mazel tov, Two quickies and a and a slightly longer one. Uh, first off, a big Mazel tov, a birthday Mazel tov, and shout out to our listener Joe Temi. Uh, got this from your your hubby, and I understand you are two of our many many Gentile listeners. I think like thirty or forty percent of our listeners are not Jews, and uh, we wish you a major happy birthday, Joe. Uh, second, of course, the big the big meta mega Echt or Mazel Tov to uh, Butnik Cohen and the merger of two of the the dynastic. Uh, Jewish families of the tri-state area. Um, and then finally, a special mazel tov. Last spring, I taught a class at Yale on podcasting, which, you know, I don't think any university's ever offered a class on podcasting before. I mean, the idea was, let's look at this as an art form and talk about what makes this different from radio, from literature, from all these other things. And then the, the final project was each student, there were 15 students, had to produce an episode of a podcast about undergraduate life at Yale. And they produced 15 of the most amazing episodes ever. One is about naked parties at Yale. Another is about secret societies. Another one is about why all the varsity athletes take Indonesian as their foreign language, which is hilarious. Um, another one is about class at Yale, about what it's like to be poor at an Ivy League school. Honestly, I've, I've, they have over 1,000 downloads so far. And everyone I've talked to who's listened to it has said, this is this is the bomb. Um, The podcast is called Undergraduate Admissions, and you can get it on um, iTunes or Stitcher, and they have a website, which is UAPodcast.com. Seriously, just give them a listen. Give them a download. Give them a listen. Um, Oh, one of them is about an Orthodox Jewish girl who got to Yale and then lost her faith as the result of having been sexually assaulted and how the religious community handled it. Like, honestly, I could just keep – I'm not going to list all 15, but Undergraduate Admissions, UAPodcast.com or find them on iTunes and uh, give these kids some – some love. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Follow Mrs. Stephanie on Instagram at S. Butnik. We are on Facebook a lot. Just follow Tablet Magazine. Our executive producer is Alyssa Goldstein, and we are also produced by Shira Talushkin. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our show is edited by Noach Levinson. Our music is by Golem. Rabbinic supervision by Rabbi Don Rosoff of Barnard Temple in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, where I'll be speaking on Saturday. Kosher slaughtering by Hurricane Irma. We recorded Argo Studios, which caught the bouquet, and we're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends.